Well, good morning, family. Happy belated uh, Thanksgiving. I hope you were able to uh, spend some time, yes, with feasting, maybe with family, maybe with friends, but also thinking about what you're thankful for, things uh, seen, but also things unseen, but are just as real, spiritually speaking, through Jesus. Uh, this last week, I was feeling a little bit of pressure because I'm a rhythm guy. Do you have any rhythm people who you really like your rhythm, and if you get out of rhythm, it kind of affects you? Some of you are nodding. Okay, no hands, though. I see that hand. Some of you are rhythm people. I'm a rhythm person. And so I had a normal week, so to speak, for like when I speak. I had Monday, Tuesday is kind of when I'm collecting my thoughts and doing research, whatever it is. Wednesday, I sit down and I try to write. And uh, this Wednesday was a little bit different, though, because I didn't have Thursday. I had to move a couple things up to Wednesday. And so I would usually block off from, say, like 8 a.m. to noon and just get it all done, right? Try to at least. Uh, this Wednesday I had two meetings, so I had, it was like segmented, etc. So as I came into the office Wednesday morning, it was already eight and I was already feeling behind. Jessica runs the Jackson Community Center. She's up at the kiosk every week and uh, her daughter was with her because when her daughter has off school, she'll bring her in. Natalie is about 10, 10 years old or something like that. So I'm going really fast and I go up to give Natalie a fist bump like this. I give it to her and I head right to the conference room, which is where I write. Well, a little while later... Uh, because I drank too much water, I used the restroom. Then I go out into the office area, and I see Jeff, who is a custodian, who some of you see very early here on Sunday AMs. He's a custodian here. And I say, hey, Jeff. And he's like, oh, now you say hi to me. I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean? He's like, when you went to say hi to Natalie, I said hello, and you just walked right on past me and didn't even acknowledge me. See, I was so busy. I was in such a hurry. My mind was so focused on the task in front of me, I didn't even hear Jeff say hi to me. I went and gave Natalie a fist bump, and I went into my office to write. Now, innocent mistake. I apologized. He didn't hold it against me. He took my name off his dartboard and whatever it was. But as I speak to you, family, here's what I continually hear. I hear things like work just seems to be crowding in more and more and more in life. I've got no control over my schedule anymore. I feel like I'm running so fast that even when I'm not running, it's hard for me to be present in the moment. I don't know how to relax. At times, following Jesus can just feel like another to-do rather than a relationship. The only time I can get away from the pace is when I go on vacation. And then when I go on vacation, yes, it's different. I'm not working, but I don't necessarily come back even rested. I can't even take a break from email while I'm on vacation. Tonight's the first night I haven't had something on my calendar in X amount of days. With everything I've got going on, I barely can keep up with my schoolwork and my homework. I mean, you uh, talk about we could just add on and on and on the things that are true in our full lives. And I think this season from Thanksgiving to Christmas is like no other, maybe in our yearly calendar, right? Parties, shopping, decorating, lights, trees, sweaters, traditions, and even good things. There's just so many of them. Our lives are just full for this sprint of a month. But I wonder if this season just highlights what's already a reality, that our lives are full. And as you see on the image, not just full, but overflowing at times. What effect does this have on us? How does being too full affect our lives? How does it affect our souls? And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we begin a new series called Full, 
where we're looking at four passages that surround the Christmas story. And this morning, we're going to look back at Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to see some men who came a long distance to come and see Mary and Joseph's newborn son. And we're going to see what we can take from that about our lives being full or how to worship Jesus in the midst of that. So go ahead and turn to page uh, 669 with me, or Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, as we, we look at how we can be full of worshiping Jesus in this time. Matthew chapter 2, page 669. We're going to start in verse 1 and read through 12. Verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born of the Jews, born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet was written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They returned to their country by another route. So verses 1 and 2 are, are kind of the setting of our story, and they have a host of characters that appear upon the scene. We have Jesus, we have King Herod, and we have Magi from the east. Let's start with King Herod. Um, at this time, Rome governed the, the Jewish people. And in turn, what they did was they appointed someone to rule over the Jewish people, the empire. And Herod was that appointed king. He was a violent man. If you'd keep reading on in this passage, he ordered all children two years and under to be killed, right? And we'll see why that was. He also killed family members. Anybody who was a threat to his throne, he took out, right? He also was not Jewish, but he was an Edomite from the lineage not of Jacob, but of Jacob's brother Esau. So put all this together, and the Jewish people were being ruled by a non-Jewish man under the leadership of pagan non-Jewish Romans. Next, you had the Magi, right? And according to the ESV Study Bible, the Magi were men who specialized in astrology, dream interpretation, study of sacred writings, the pursuit of wisdom and magic. And it's not known exactly where they traveled from, but it's thought they could have come from as far east as Babylon. And there's some conjecture, there's some thought that there's a prophecy by Balaam in, I believe, Numbers chapter 24 that says a star would come out of Jacob. And maybe they got a hold of or someone traveled with the Jewish scriptures, and that's how they knew about this occurrence. But let's just think about if they did come from Babylon. You see here, here's Babylon, and they traveled to Jerusalem. 
if they would have taken, this is conjecture, we don't know for sure, but had they traveled from this, guess how far that trip is in miles? Any guesses? 100, yeah, much more, 800 miles. Okay, so for us, 800 miles, maybe not that big a deal. For them, 800 miles, a big deal. If you traveled 20 miles a day, okay, someone do your math, 800 miles, traveled 20 miles a day, how long is that going to take them? Yeah, it's going to take 40 days, 40 days. All that to say that this was not a haphazard trip. In their probably full lives, they did anything and everything in order to go and see Mary and Joseph's son. A couple years ago, we decided that we were going to take a family trip to Yellowstone. And um, this is before, yeah, anyway, so we were going to take a trip to Yellowstone. We decided that, and we made the very, very brilliant decision that we were going to drive there. We're going to, now, I'm very thankful that we were able to go there, but we decided we were going to drive there. We um, could have gone through South Dakota, Right? We could have gone through South Dakota, but Sturgis was happening during that time. So unless we wanted to see this guy, the State Farm, woo, let's go. Unless we wanted to see that guy on a motorcycle, we decided we were going to go through North Dakota, which Teddy Roosevelt State Park, beautiful, by the way. If you guys have not been there, there's a north and a south entrance. But how long is that drive? 20 hours, right? So we're driving, and then we're driving. Greg does this for a living. He's like, you're a baby. I know I'm a baby, but, and then we're driving. And it's like, are we ever going to get there? I'm there? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And then once you get in the park, there's more driving and there's more driving. All that to say is there was a lot of effort. There was a lot of planning. There was a lot of intentionality even to take a three-day trip to travel that many hours to get to Yellowstone and drive back. Now, these magi, they they had to do much more planning than I did. They had to go to great lengths to get to Jerusalem. Why, though? Look look back at the text with me. Look back at the text with me. Why did verse 2 say that they wanted to go? What was their intent? Look back at verse 2. Yeah. They went to worship, and who did they go to worship? What does it say? He who's been born king of the Jews. Remember, these guys were into astrology. They were into stars, right? We'll talk about that more. But they went to worship the king of the Jews. And in this context, when they're talking about worship, it means to express by attitude and possibility, and possibly by position, one's allegiance to and regard for deity or God. To prostrate oneself in worship, to bow down and worship, to worship. That's what they went to do. And I I just want this to sink in because I had never thought about this until I looked at it this time. These are men coming from maybe Babylon or somewhere east. They're probably not even worshipers of the Jewish God Yahweh, of the one true God. I mean, I think it, we could uh, propose that, that yet they've made potentially an 800-mile trip to worship he who is being born king of the Jews. They, they're probably not even worshipers of the one true God, and yet they put aside everything to make a 40-day, 800-mile trip to worship Jesus. They put aside everything 
in probably full lives. Do you ever find yourself putting aside everything in order to do something? You'll move heaven and earth, so to speak, to do whatever needs to happen to make X happen. Maybe it's a hunting trip. Maybe it's to watch a certain sporting event. Maybe it's to spend time with friends. Maybe it's to get that perfect gift for somebody. Maybe it's to be the best in your particular sport. Maybe it's to achieve and keep that 4.0. What will you do anything for? Who will you do anything for? These non-Jewish potentially non-worshippers of the one true God, Yahweh. They did just about everything possible, put aside anything possible in order to worship Jesus. And it just made me think, family, what lengths do we go to or will we go to to worship Jesus? In our lives that are so full Do you and I on a regular basis even have the mental, emotional, physical, spiritual capacity in our hearts to worship him? Or do we all have all these other things that crowd him out too often? Do we even have space in our souls to worship him? Or does he just feel like one more thing? See, the setting of our story is the Magi coming a long distance to worship Jesus, the King of Jews. And the, the plot begins to unfold in verses 3 to 8. Go there, back there with me, please. Let's look at how Herod responds. Now, the Magi have come to worship Jesus. When Herod hears about Jesus, uh, what was Herod's title, by the way? Herod the, that was his role, right? But who does it say Jesus is? Blank of the Jews. King. Okay, so when Herod hears about this, he's troubled. Well, why is he troubled? Let's just say he's a little bit insecure about his role, about his kingship. He's already offed family members. Like he's literally taken out family members who threatened his role. And especially since he's not even Jewish, but he knows about this prophecy of a coming Jewish king, he's troubled. And he's not just a little bit troubled. He's out of his mind troubled. And so he gathers the religious leader who the text says were also troubled and threatened because Jesus threatened their power structure and their religious authority as he knew it. And he asked them, where was this Messiah to be born? Messiah just means Christ, the one who's been promised for a long time, the one who would be anointed to be king of his people. And his leaders quote Micah, I believe 5-2, who 800 years earlier had predicted Jesus the king of the Jews, who would come and shepherd his people, who would be born in Bethlehem. So he calls them back. He calls the Magi back, and he says, hey, where did this star first appear? When did it first appear? And then he sends out the orders to search for the child, and he tells them, hey, when you find him, please let me know, because I want to go and what, does the text say? I want to go and worship him too. Now, knowing that Herod was troubled that a king of the Jews has been born, And were we to read ahead, and as I referenced earlier, see that he orders all children ages two and younger to be killed. He doesn't want to go and worship him. He wants to take him out. He wants to take out another threat to his kingship, right? Verses 9 and 12, they they bring some resolution to our story. And there's some supernaturally astrology happening here. 
stars move, at least some, you guys correct me afterwards because I'm not a brainiac about this, but supposedly stars move, but not necessarily in a way that the naked eye could, could, could detect. There's a star that I read about called Barnard Star, and I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it. But this is the fasting, fastest moving star that they know of. Fastest moving star that you could kind of see it moves. Think about the width of the moon that you can see. Guess how long it takes this star to move to our naked eye, the width of a moon. It's a long time, I'll just tell you that. 180 years. Okay, so think about the width of the moon. And think about the fastest moving star. It takes 180 years for it to move the width of the moon. Translation, what happened in verse 9 is supernatural. The star moving and leading them and going right over the home of Jesus. God was clearly leading these magi to Jesus through the star supernaturally leading them there. And look at this. When they saw the star, go back to the passage, they were overjoyed. There's another translation that says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I like that because I think it's more accurate. They weren't just like overjoyed. Like they were out of their minds overjoyed. Here's where it gets crazy. Remind me, what, what do these magi study? What are they into? They're into astrology. They're into the stars, right? So what would you think they were rejoicing exceedingly with great joy over? Knowing what they do. The star, right? And yet, that's not what they were rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. The star simply meant was the star was simply pointing to what they were exceedingly greatly with great joy over, which was Jesus. Think about that. These guys spent 40 days, 800 miles, 20 miles a day. They're into astrology. They see the star moves in ways that stars don't move supernaturally. And they're not even that pumped about that. They're pumped about what the star leads to, which is Jesus. That's crazy. That's crazy. This would be like if we're all about hunting and a monster, monster, biggest you could ever imagine, bigger than any you've seen on trail cam shows up right in front of us. And we're like, this would be like if we're all about the Packers or football and they they win another Super Bowl with Rodgers and you're there on the 50 yard line and he comes up and he says, hey, I want to shake your hand. Your fanship helped me win this game. You're like, what? This would be like if, you know, you're all about work and you receive the ultimate promotion that you could never have dreamed about. Or we're all about our kids and they grow up and they do better than we could ever imagine. Or we're really into our academics and we get a full ride to Harvard. Or we're really into cars and we're like, woo, let's go. I mean, that's what these guys were really into with stars. And yet they didn't really even care about the star. The star just led them to Jesus. They could have cared less about it in some sense. It was a means to end to them to worship Jesus. And as I was just thinking about this, I was like, man, for me and for us, what makes us rejoice exceedingly with great joy? What makes us rejoice exceedingly with great joy? When's the last time we rejoiced exceedingly with great joy? 
Notice I didn't ask what makes us happy, right? Happiness is circumstantial. It comes and goes. It's based on things. It's based on occurrences. It's based on people. Joy is much deeper. Lately, I have been um, trying to learn guitar. I'll say I'm a struggling guitarist uh, at this point. I'm not very good. But um, if yesterday, I just went down to my basement for, I don't know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Only one who can hear me is God. Well, maybe my family, but I'm in the basement, so not real well. But I'm just plucking away. I'm learning. I'm trying. But I don't necessarily ever care about being up here. We got enough people who know how to do that really well. You guys, we'd love for you to join us, but they don't need me. What I care about is just being able to be reminded of the joy I have in Jesus. Through that, as I sing those lyrics, as I strum a G, which sounds more like a C, it doesn't matter. I'm reminded of the joy I have in Jesus. Sherry Cook, um, in a blog post for Crystal Lake Evangelical Free Church, had this to say about joy. She said, the scriptures give us ample reasons for joy in what God has done. The chief among these has to do with our redemption and the resulting relationship. If joy is lacking in our lives and our worship, perhaps this is the first place we need to explore to discern the cause. Are we sufficiently in awe that the creator of the universe, the holy, sovereign, triune God, wants to be in relationship with us so intensely that he would die to do it? Are we profoundly grateful for the lengths he went to redeem us? All he left, all he suffered, the immense nature of his mercy, grace, and his love. Are we overwhelmed with the realization that we were doomed to an eternity in hell, a forever of abandonment and torment, but now are destined to experience eternal joy at his right hand? See, family, if if we believe that, and if we remember that, the result is going to be joy. Like, that's good news. The way Tim Keller, author and former pastor, states it is, the gospel is this, we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet, at the very same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Like, that's good news. That's good news. And family, I can't tell you exactly what was going on in the hearts of these magi that that caused them to rejoice exceedingly with great joy upon seeing the star to the point where they fell down in worship of this king of the Jews, even though maybe they weren't even followers of the Jewish God Yahweh. But what I can tell you is it's pretty convicting to my heart to think that that's what they would do. What does that look like for me? What does that look like for me? I mean, that quote said it. Jesus has rescued us from hell and the penalty of our sins so that we might rejoice exceedingly with great joy and worship him. He's made us sons and daughters so that we might rejoice exceedingly with great joy and worship him. He's given us a purpose while here on earth to help others experience his love and grace and follow him so that we might rejoice exceedingly with great joy and worship him. And yet, if you were to look at my life, sometimes I'm more excited about football. Maybe some of us are more excited about the weather, or lack thereof, or grades, or Christmas presents, or the things associated with the season, rather than Jesus. Keep adding on our homes, our wealth. Here's the problem, though. We're all, we all are duped in the sense of myself included, 
we think those will bring us joy, but they never can. They might bring us circumstantial happiness, but they can't bring us joy. Jesus is the source of joy. He's the reason for the worship. He will result in joy when we worship him. Our lives are so full, many of us, to the point that they're overflowing. Our calendars, their bananas, our bank accounts, they're bulging. Our information intake is more than it ever has been. Our minds are crowded. Our hearts are divided. And the result is discontent. Anxiety, a lack of presence, a hurried soul. Rushed relationships. And in my life and in our life, sometimes a telling lack of joy. And I I just wonder, our lives and our minds are so full that there's often maybe no space to available to worship Jesus. And I really think that in the coming years, there'll be different things that that set aside people who follow and love Jesus and, and those who don't that mark them. One of them, I think, will be family, families that thrive because it just doesn't happen anymore, the breakdown of the family. But I think another mark that will be significant in the life of a follower of Jesus is joy. Is joy, is something that's deeper, that goes beyond circumstantial happiness, but is constant no matter what we face because it's sourced in and it's based upon someone outside ourselves, and that person is the one we worship this season and all year, and his name is Jesus. See, all these things, even good things, even marriage, even kids, even relationship, even you name the good thing, work can be a good thing. None of these can bring joy, but we can experience joy in any of them through Jesus. So when we went to Yellowstone, my favorite thing that I saw, probably different people have different um, takes, but the favorite thing that I saw with my eyes was Grand Prismatic Spring. I've got a picture up here, but a picture doesn't do it justice. You just have to see it. It's pretty amazing. The, the colors, it's warm. I don't know why I didn't expect that, but it was warm. But as I saw Grand Prismatic Spring, that was probably my favorite thing. The colors are unreal. And yet, in and of itself, it didn't bring me joy or awe. But when I realized, man, God made that, that did. And family, we too were made by God to experience joy in God, to then be used for God and by God. But the only way our hearts will experience the joy that we were designed to experience is through Jesus. No one or nothing else has the power to give us that besides him. And I bet you that joy is what the world is seeking without even knowing it. Something that's deeper, something that's lasting. So as we collectively have or put up our Christmas lights, might we worship Jesus, the light of the world, and experience joy. As we put up our Christmas trees, might we worship the one who loved us to the extent of dying on a tree for us, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we might be given new life and might be experienced joy. As we gather and feast, 
might we be pointed ahead to an eternal feast prepared for those who know King Jesus and will worship him forever and might we experience joy. As we go to various parties, might we be reminded of an eternal party we're invited to and that we can invite others to, to where the guest of honor will for eternity be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as we worship him, may we experience joy. As we open gifts, sometimes at the speed of light, may we slow down and realize that every good and perfect gift comes from a God, especially the gift of Jesus. And as we worship him, might we experience joy. Family, my prayer would be as this season, we worship Jesus, born King of the Jews, we might experience joy. What we're going to do is we're going to give um, five minutes. Five minutes is going to feel like eternity, maybe for some of us. That's okay. No one will die, I'm pretty sure. We're going to give five minutes. We're going to put on some music. We're going to put up some questions. And because our lives are so full and because it's hard for any of us to stop and do this, myself included at times, we just want to sit and ask God to speak to our hearts. Feel free to reflect on those questions. If you don't like the questions, that's okay. Just ask God to speak to your heart, okay? I'm going to pray for us as we spend some time reflecting. Afterwards, the music team will get back up, and they're going to start with one song, a cappella, just in again in our full lives to pare it down a little. So, Father, we pray that through this time, you might speak to our hearts. Might your spirit be gracious. Remind us of your love. Point us to your son, we pray.